subscription just hope that you enjoyed this rare and infamous moment that combines a first-rate disaster with genuine historical significance. But now it's time to take a deep breath and get those cameras out as we prepare to temporally reset you to one of the most fantastic catastrophes in history. Are you ready? Everyone, and welcome back to an episode of the Time Shifters podcast. This is Christopher, and I am here, as always, with my good friend and co-host, Tom. Tom, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. I love that you're welcoming me back like I wouldn't be here. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that you show up. I really, really do. (laughs) Always happy to be here. Speaking of uh, things I appreciate, I put out recently kind of a fundraiser to uh, out to our, our, our listeners and fans to uh, kind of help uh, cushion the blow when it comes to uh, renewing hosting fees and such next year. Mm-hmm. And everyone has been incredibly awesome already. I am just blown away by everyone's generosity. So thank you to everyone who has donated. And if you have not and you think, oh, I want to be awesome like everybody else. You still can. Please follow the link in the show notes and go to the uh, coffee.com link or whatever. And, uh, yeah, drop us, you know, a, a few bucks is all it, all we're asking. You buy us a coffee. That's that's really all we're asking. And all that money do- goes to helping support the show and keeping the show running. And we certainly appreciate any assistance that you can throw our way. If you're feeling competitive, go for it. Competitive? Sure. Uh, as a, I got to be the biggest donor. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. If anyone donates and they want to know if they're the biggest donor, I will let them know. And I will advertise it if you so choose. <laughs> if you want me to. Upon your agreement, we would mention your name here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll post all over the websites, all over the socials. I still have not been watching as much because mm-hmm. I think I've mentioned on my uh, on the last episode, my wife has taken over the use of the television quite a lot, yep. trying to use up the DV- get through the DVR stuff, uh, so we can finally get rid of the DVR. I got into a uh, Italian Jaws ripoff kick, <laughs> and I've been watching a lot of. Uh, giant shark or crocodile or you know insert animal here that came out of italy here (laughs) recently my absolute favorite tom is cruel jaws yeah oh my gosh directed by uh, bruno matai it was shot and then um it didn't really make its way over to the States for a long time. It was actually marketed overseas as Jaws 5. Uh, really? <laughs> Even though it has absolutely nothing to do with any of the other films, except, and this is the beauty, this is why I love this film so much. Yeah. Bruno Matai actually took footage from the Jaws films and uh, another film... Uh, from uh, the the last shark and an, another Italian Jaws ripoff, took footage from those films and used them in this film. Really, honest to God, true. <laughs> it is so fantastic. It's hysterical. I absolutely love this film. It, it's 
climbed near the top. It's in probably my top five favorite bad movies. Nice. <laughs> it was so much fun. I sat through this thing just grinning ear to ear and laughing. It, if anyone has not seen Cruel Jaws, go seek it out. I think it's actually, yes, it's on Tubi. So it's really easy to find. And you, you give give it a shot. It is hysterical. I loved it. Well, since you're mentioning uh, stupid shark films, <laughs> we uh, our, our guys' night that happens on, on our standard Thursday night rotation, uh, two weeks ago, we gave a shot one called Sharkula. <laughs> oh, I know of it. I've never watched it. Uh, I, uh, well, I, can, I don't know if recommend that you watch it is the <laughs> right term, but... Knowing you, um, you should watch it and, and then hate it for all that it's worth. <laughs> but uh, I, I dare you to figure out how um, the shark actually becomes the master in a relationship with the man who is actually Dracula. Yeah, well, I'm curious now. Yep. You got me curious. Yep. I might have to go ahead and dig that one up. Uh, yep, nope. Um, and I know exactly where you can go to dig that up. <laughs> okay, understood. Yep, that is um, that is a, an asylum production, is it not? I can't. I I, I don't want to commit to even saying okay. that. I don't know that it's good enough for asylum. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> but still, kind of a fun watch just from the perspective of you're like, what the hell? <laughs> yep. Nope. Under, understood. Well, it might f- definitely fit into the mood I've been in lately with, like I said, uh, uh, Killer Crocodile 1 and 2. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Last Shark, Cruel Jaws. Uh, I've got Grizzly on the queue. <laughs> so I'm going to keep going. So, yeah, I might add Sharkula to the list. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I'm sorry. It's not Italian, but yeah, well, no. You, you'll just have to go with it. <laughs> I would also, as far as recommending kind of bad movies, Killer Crocodile 1 and 2, also found on Tubi. Yeah, I I would uh, throw those on the the pile as well. Those are actually a a lot of fun. Speaking of disasters. Yes. (laughs) This just came out just a little bit ago, a couple days prior to recording, that Shout Factory released a big DVD set, which on the cover looks like it's going to be fantastic. It's Irwin Allen, Master of Desi- of Disaster Collection. So you're thinking, oh, oh okay, this is going to be like a side adventure. This is going to be the Towering Inferno. This is going to be all these really great disaster films from the 70s and 80s. You'd be wrong. Okay. <laughs> this is like, these are all his like other films that no one remembers. <laughs> it's so disappointing. You, you see this thing, you think how exciting this is going to be, and then you click on the link and you find films like 76's Flood, 77's Fire, something from 79 called Hanging by a Thread. You get Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. (laughs) It's like, I haven't even heard of these films, and you're putting it out. This feels like it should be like the third or fourth of a set, not the, the first big set. It's kind of funny that we're talking physical media stuff and that kind of thing, and yeah, that sounds terrible that that's the direction that that went managed to catch today um and this the the news of it came out just a couple of days ago disney's about 
to release. Uh, and it's funny because you and I have had this conversation recently about Disney and their trend to ebb and flow in their physical media releases. Mm-hmm. They have a 100 animated film collection that is due out soon. Oh, okay. To the tune of $1,500. Holy crap. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, they're going to market this as your last chance to get this on on Blu-ray or something like that, probably. Yeah, um, and reading some of the articles, it's going to include a lot, lot that you would hope to get, but in that hundred are going to be things you're not necessarily interested in uh things uh, like there was a film literally called tinkerbell um return to neverland the jungle book 2 oh all the direct-to-video stuff yeah uh planes and its sequel Mm -hmm. (laughs) stuff like that so yeah it's just gonna be a full hodgepodge of their animated stuff good bad and indifferent um but that's the question. To get a hundred animated films is fifteen hundred dollars worth it to you. Yeah, not not for me, not for the Disney film. Sorry. <laughs> Having something like that starts making you think. Okay, a subscription to Disney Plus is probably worthwhile because <laughs> <laughs> all of that stuff exists there. Right. Well, or does it? Well, yeah, you do you do run into the when they put stuff up and take things down. But mm-hmm. the point is, is if you keep your uh, subscription long enough, that, these things will go into rotation. So, but yeah, fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> I will have to ask uh, Scott and Tracy from over there at uh, the Disney Indiana podcast if that is going to be on their Christmas list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and oh, yeah. I don't even. I can't even imagine. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they were at least contemplating the idea. <laughs> oh, I'm certain of it. But I mean, yeah. If you're looking to literally own, um, and yeah, here, I, not that I would read through the entire list, but it, it goes from the first animated film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Hmm to uh the most recent pixar release uh elemental oh okay interesting they're including the pixar stuff yes no uh, uh yeah you get pixar uh, you get elemental things like lightyear and kanto and all the way back through the pixar straight through toy story one it's in there okay so wow all right so yeah you do have a good mix of stuff in here um it, it it's not like if another one that may made the list is Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, interesting. Yeah. See, I wouldn't even. I mean, I guess technically it's animated, but it's stop motion animation. I I wouldn't have uh, lumped it in there with the others. I I wouldn't have thought so, but yes, apparently it makes the list. So interesting. I, I guarantee people will be talking about it if for any other reason the price tag. Right. Um. The packaging is fairly funky, just looking at the box set and all that. But yeah, the, this will get talked about, and especially whether or not fifteen hundred is a reasonable value for this amount of content. Well, I'll have to uh, 
have you post that uh, link or news story to the uh, Facebook group or whatever. Yep. I'll, share, I'll share it around the uh, the social medias and stuff, and uh, people can come and check that out for themselves. Yes, I'll throw that up there later. All right. So what have you been up to? I know you've, you've got a lot of uh, inner home turmoil going on right now. You don't want to go into incredible details, but I know that's probably been taking up quite a lot of your time. No, uh, between uh, what I do outside of all of this, since uh, unless the donors really want to come through for us and, and start paying us <laughs> a salary, um, assuming that's not on the horizon, the real job at the university, this was the start of the semester, so uh, th- this is always the incredibly busy time, so that has consumed a lot of time. And then out of nowhere, um, finally got some renovation scheduled for my home which has involved wiping out the entirety of my second floor so Mm. which is uh thank god this is not a a a viewable (laughs) podcast because all you would be doing is staring at all of my son's garbage sitting behind me (laughs) but yes uh, otherwise watching tv is usually an act of what i do as I'm falling asleep. <laughs> so yes. uh, concentrating on anything hasn't really happened. And uh, I, I've tried to watch. Um, I want desperately to keep up with and watch like the Star Wars content, like the Ahsoka series. And honestly, Ahsoka out of the animated stuff was quickly rocketed to the top of one of my favorite Star Wars characters, period, just hands down. Uh, a problem is, is I'm watching this series and I'm just bored. Oh. And it's a shame because there's good content to draw from and I don't feel like they're delivering. I mean, hmm. and, and this is the same crew that makes things like The Mandalorian, but uh, even then, uh, the third season of Mandalorian was just kind of eh. So I just... Disney has a habit of taking properties and they see money and they make too much too quickly. Um, And even if you've got people with good intention and they have a vision, I don't know that it comes through. So I'm a little saddened by that. Yeah, that's a shame. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely been there when you go in with such high expectations, or if not expectations, just hopes. Sure. And, and, you walk away going uh oh was that actually on (laughs) well yeah like again uh, uh, as we record this there was another episode released and i'm like "Eh, i'll get to it when i get to it um and and i'm desperately upset that i mean i i like rosario dawson she is the title character of ahsoka um in when she has made live action appearances in some of the other episodes, those were really good episodes. But her in this series, they haven't given her that much to do. She barely says a word. And um, to all listeners who uh, are watching any of this stuff, I dare you to make it a drinking game. Um, drink every time you see somebody fold their arms. Because it happens an awful damn lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, 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 it reminds me of, oh, what is it? Um, back in the day with Mystery Science Theater, uh, there was a particular movie called The Giant Gila Monster. 
Oh yeah, they talked about blocking. blocking with the, yeah, they with did the... an entire sequence on blocking on how everyone put their leg up on something. This it's the equivalent. If they don't know have anything to do with their body, everybody folds their arms. <laughs> like so drink every time you watch somebody fold their arms. Understood. You and, will be and... wasted by the end of any episode, I guarantee it. Gotcha. Yep. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we will look at 2011's Priest. C-3PO, Loki, Mace Windu, Dr. Bruce Banner, Captain Rex, Venom, Princess Leia, Jean Grey, Darth Maul, Nick Fury, Grand Moff Tarkin, Captain America, Lando Calrissian, Cyclops. What do all these characters have in common? Well, two of them were played by Samuel L. Jackson. A couple of them were played by Hammer Films veterans Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Come on, guys. You know this. Well, of course we do, Jessica. Just like Mickey Mouse and Captain Jack Sparrow, they're all now Disney characters. Hello, I'm Tracy of the Disney Indiana Podcast, and my co-host Scott and I enjoy talking about all aspects of the House of Mouse, and that includes their newest properties, Marvel and LucasArts. We also talk about Disney resorts, the cruise line, theme parks, and whatever else Mickey has to offer which includes movies, Imagineering, video games, and collectibles. You'll never know what we'll decide to talk about. So check us out at www.disneyindiana.com or do a search for the Disney Indiana Podcast on iTunes, because now we've got a lot more to talk about. And don't forget about those other quote-unquote Disney characters like, well, Sully. Fozzie Bear. Buzz Lightyear. Link Hogthrob. Doug. Janice. Merida. Pepe. Bruce. Ralph the Dog. Wally. Dr. The Disney Bunsen Indiana Hindu. Podcast. Syndrome. Even after five years, we're still miles away from the nearest Main Street, USA. We're not listed on the map, but you can join us at www.disneyindiana.com. Church's ability to keep them safe. You will not shake that faith. What good is that faith when it's a lie? If you take any action to leave the cities, you will be stripped from the order and excommunicated immediately. The war is long over. It's not over. Not for me. broken his sacred vow, you will find him dead or alive. They bred a new army. 
you're too late, priest. This is their time now. They say about priests, you wield the hand of God. You have no idea what's coming, priest. Priest is a science fiction action horror film released in 2011. The movie is loosely based on a Korean comic book series of the same name. The film was directed by Scott Stewart and stars Paul Bettany, Carl Urban, Maggie Q, and has an appearance by Christopher Plummer. In this alternative world, humans have been at war with vampires for centuries, devastating the planet. Even with the disadvantage of the vampires being vulnerable to sunlight, their speed, strength, and sheer numbers nearly overpowered humanity. Retreating to walled cities protected by the church, humans live a meager existence until a new breed of warriors were discovered. Recruited and trained by the church, these powerful warriors, known as priests, turned the tide of the war and defeated the vampires. Their hives destroyed, what few vampires remain are sequestered in reservations. When a family manning an outpost is attacked and a young woman taken by a herd of vampires, a local lawman seeks out a retired priest. The priest, a relative of the family, goes against the church, whose monsignors believe the vampire menace is long over, and he risks all to hunt down the vampires and rescue the young woman, or, if infected, kill her. Unbeknownst to him, there is a new menace leading the vampires, and all his skills may not be enough to survive. This film was originally scheduled to be released in October of 2010, but it was announced that it would be moved to August to fill a weekend slot when another Screen Gems film, Resident Evil Afterlife, was uh, delayed. And then the filmmakers decided to convert priests from 2D to 3D and gave a new release date of January 2011. And it was then delayed again till May of 2011, so the film could attract the summertime audiences. And I think right there is a big problem with this film is this definitely should have come out in an, an in an October. Yeah. Why the hell would you do a vampire film any other month than October? <laughs> well, as I poked around a little bit, um, at this time in history, uh, vampires were like everywhere all the time, no matter what they were on TV. They were in movies. Uh, it was like the go-to thing to make a content about. This was about the the the, the height of like the Twilight uh, sagas, of popularity and everything, wasn't it? Popularity is a strong word, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I hear you. Yes, this would be about then, if not the series kind of wrapping at that stage. The uh, the budget on this film was about sixty million, and it took in seventy, a little over seventy eight at the box office. So while not a failure, not a hit. No, that is one of the things that has always bugged me about this film. 
is that I feel like it has all the right ingredients to be a hit. Mm-hmm. It is a little bit of a western. It's a li- it's a little bit of sci-fi. It's horror. It's got like a diesel punk aesthetic to it. These are all these things that are like, all right, this should have been at least as popular as like Underworld, which spawned like what six or seven freaking sequels, right? And this one came and went, and everything that they put into that pot, it's it just came out meh. <laughs> and meh is literally uh, the go-to for this. This is only the second time I have ever watched this film. I did not see it in the theater. It is instantly forgettable. There, there's. There's not there's not a sequence in it that just goes wow. Um, there's no dialogue. There's no sense of feeling. Like I don't care about any of these characters under any circumstance. I mean, there's supposed to be this big build up to the idea that our our hero the this priest. It's not even the priest. It's just priest um, Paul Bettany's character is is the father of the girl that he is trying to get, which it would kind of goes against the whole priest thing. Only they kind of lay it out later in the film that you get to be pulled as a priest. As soon as they figure out that you have whatever it is that makes it that you're a strong fighter and you have the skill set, which they never define in any way, shape or form. So it's supposed to be a big deal that they they have this reveal and it is so eh. <laughs> when they get around to actually revealing that he is indeed the the young girl's father nobody cares it means nothing it doesn't drive the story forward in any way no it really doesn't and it it doesn't need to be there no not really the girl is raised as her as his brother's daughter, and if it was his niece, th- there would be still an understandable why he might go after her. Yes, exactly. That's She's that's still exactly family. what I was. That's that's exactly where I was leading. Yeah, it it didn't. You didn't need to have this inner or this uh, this this extra angst of like, oh no, it's his daughter. Like, all right, well, what the hell difference does that make? <laughs> And, and, and I honestly didn't remember this till watching it in its entirety. And I think part of the problem with this film is it really absolutely a thousand percent wanted to be the start of a franchise. It, it, it's mm-hmm. dead clear. Uh, I mean, the, the ending, it say, suggests we, there's more story to tell, but we didn't get to it. So... This plays like the pilot for a series more than it does. And, and like most pilots for most series, it plays as just uh, half-baked. Yeah. Yeah, this this is something we have to do in order to introduce you to the characters in the world. Right. The story isn't as important. Exactly. And, and well, unfortunately, uh, I know you have the copy that you have, and I watched what I had. I assume in a better situation, it probably looked a little better. Um, 
but it was a little rough looking. Uh, and I don't know if that was the film itself or just the copy that I was watching. What do you mean rough looking? Uh, I don't know. Um, it, it wasn't very clear. Not It wasn't like high def or anything, or it didn't feel like it was. So, hmm. again, it may be because I'm watching a copy off of online in a way and not a, a clear crystal copy. But I got the impression there, there was supposed to be some beautiful scenic imagery in some of this stuff, especially as he takes off on his rocket bike and... Day becomes night, night becomes day, and he's traveling through this desert environment at at, at laughably 200 miles per hour. <laughs> You're like, uh, a bug is just going to cause you to wipe <laughs> off out on this thing. So that's a thing unto itself. But yeah, no, uh, other than maybe the scenery was supposed to look better than it was, um, yeah, there's nothing drawing you into this at all. No, I think it's a rather drab-looking film. Yeah. The, the whole film feels like it's got, like, a filter over the top of it. And even even the day, it almost feels like you're watching... You know you know the, the old uh, method of doing uh, day for night? Yeah. This feels like you're doing night for day sometimes. <laughs> well, and you know what? They're a little uh, quasi... Uh, what does what uh cuz uh like he's run, racing across the scenery on the bike and and literally it's taking him uh, at least a day or two to get where he's trying to go and while he's doing that like you're supposed to fear the vampires coming out at night only he's just zipping along on this bike and that doesn't seem to be a thing that he has to worry about. Not until he stops and says it's a thing that he has to worry about. Right. I like the idea. I don't like the execution. Mm -hmm. There, there are some things I think you could do with this film, and maybe, maybe that's the problem. Is that it's just, it's just, it's just a setup, and the real story is in the next film that never gets made right. or the the third film that definitely never gets you know sees the light of day kind of thing um there's so many stories that you could tell there's uh comments you could make on society on religion on the church um all that could be done with this character and with the universe that they create yeah and you don't even get a flavor of that in this film. And, and, and I did want to touch on that. Uh, the only thing that I picked up on in this is, um, and, and what's funny is uh, when we get into the reviews, I'm not going to touch on everything. No one seems to know which, like there was a graphic novel series that this is supposed to be, as I understand it, incredibly loosely based on, like, it takes the name. And yeah. pretty much everything after that is junked. There, there, there is a priest character. But I, I saw <laughs> one review where they referred to the graphic novel as South Korean. Yes, correct. Yeah, but I found another review that referred to it as Japanese. No, as far as I can know, it's, it's a Korean. I'm pretty sure it's the South Korean one, too, but 
that's how invested even the reviewers were that this particular reviewer didn't even know which comic book series it came from. I like you and I, we're, we have a casual conversation for our audience that we do a little bit of research, but if you're a reviewer, you really ought to know. Yeah. <laughs> you, if you're getting paid, like, that's the thing. Again, donors, if you want to give us salary, we'll put, <laughs> we'll put a ton of effort into this. <laughs> Pour our heart and soul. But this is, a, this, this is a hobby. For a reviewer, they really ought to take the minute or two to figure out where that's come from. And they didn't even want to be bothered. <laughs> it's almost a, a little racist if you think about it. It's, you know, Asian, whatever, yeah, Chinese, yeah, Japanese. Yeah, it's all the same yeah. thing, right? They're all the same. Yeah, no, yeah. it's terrible. But no, the thing I did want to comment on is it's clear, and I know nothing about the graphic novel or if they took anything of use out of it. It doesn't sound like yes. Um, but that means the screenplay writer and or director in this case, um, it is clear uh, that they they have a reverence for faith, but possibly a hatred for religion. That's kind of how this feels. Yeah. Um, no, exactly. And that's that is something that you could have explored and should have explored. Exactly. And, and they set that up and that in and of itself is kind of interesting, but they go nowhere and do nothing with it. Yeah. With the, with the character or priest who was, you know, raised, not raised, he, he was recruited by the church when he was much older. He was, I'm he, guessing, maybe in his 20s he or something old like that. enough to have a daughter. <laughs> exactly. And a young daughter at that. Yes. Uh, because she's been raised thinking, we're assuming, uh, no, we know for a fact yeah. that she did not know that. No, she. Uh, it is revealed to her at, in this movie that he has always been her father. Not that right. that seemed to do much for her either. <laughs> no. So he, he's lived pr- most of his life under the church and, and being a tool of the church. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's the the phrase they always say? To go against the church goes against God. Yes, I mean, that's exactly. that's that's the mantra that he's lived under. And yes, he is finding out. He's discovering that that does not need to be the law. That doesn't need to be the rule. And that you can still have faith. He still at no point loses any faith in 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 God. But yeah, he's losing faith in the church. That's a great. That's good. Go with that. Why? Why don't they? And, and with Christopher Plummer in, in the uh, the role of the Monsignor in this, uh, I was expecting a little more from it because he was in the role. Uh, yeah. But honestly, um, my head was rewriting this film while I was watching it because for and we'll touch on on this is the vampires. I don't understand the vampires because they they made them these kind of faceless monstrous beasts but then yet they've made a human one out of a, another priest um they have giant versions of themselves that are guardians of hives it's a little unclear what kind of vampires these are and what the rules are but while we're doing talking about that the point of this story is supposed to be supposedly they've eliminated the vampires and this is how they get to live in the cities and it's post-apocalyptic because they've destroyed the uh, the world in the process of trying to kill all these vampires 
what I was really hoping for is to follow more down that track of the church, uh, as is a popular theme to do, is not the benevolent um, organization that they like to be. I was hoping for a storyline where we find out that the reason the priests have been disbanded and these cities have been established by the church and all all came out of some sort of back alley bargain where essentially the church, quote unquote, has negotiated a detente with vampires to separate their worlds. And as long as you stay where you're at and you stay where you're at and they have snowed the rest of humanity into believing that they're gone by just following the word of the church. See, and I wonder if that is something that we would have explored in a future film because the motivation of the Monsignor makes no sense in this film. Yeah, his his total anger toward toward Paul Bettany's priest, it it makes no sense. Yeah. You, in this film, taken just in with this film, taken in context of this film, the idea that the vampires might be back would only benefit the church and the Monsignor. Right. But he is adamant that though the vampire menace is nothing, they're, 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 you're 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 mad. Why why would you fight him on this? So there's got to be more to it. Why would even if you don't believe it? Why would you have a problem? You've already disbanded the priests. Why would you care if this one goes out and finds out? He either go, goes out, gets killed, and you never hear from him again, or he finds out, and now you need to do something about it. Yeah, you're not even sure why. Uh, priest he goes to the church because he wants his authority reinstated authority to do what to hunt vampires that the church doesn't believe exist i and that's that's where it all falls apart i mean the the whatever (laughs) unfortunately that's the first 15 minutes of the film (laughs) which is why this is a hard hard watch (laughs) i mean it doesn't make sense out of the gate after you get back by the the prologue portion where we learn that there are vampires, there are humans, and this is what where we're at. Anything after that makes zero sense and doesn't stand up to the light of day, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, everything about Christopher Plummer's character suggests that there is there is a motivation there that we are not getting told and this movie just never bothers to get into it. I mean, you're absolutely right. There has to be a reason for it. And we don't get any of it. No. We don't get to understand it. And even when he throws a vampire head down the aisle in front of the Monsignor, that doesn't seem to get anybody's goat, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're all stunned that it happened, but... Yeah, but the Monsieur assumes it's a hoax, or at least acts like he he's thinking it's a hoax. Yeah, and again, we, and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> I mean, right. You, once they've done that, and he sets out on his whatever mission that he's about to set out on, it, it's unclear why we even bothered to throw the head down the aisle. Like, what the what did that do? 
Yeah, it would have been nice. I mean, if it was the intention, it, there should have been a hint of it in this film. Right. That That is definitely not something that should have been, you know, oh, and then the next film, we're going to do this. Uh, you need to throw a little of that in here. <laughs> not to mention, seriously, to start any franchise, you got to kind of hit the ground running right away. I mean, you need to generate the excitement to want the next one whatever may come and that was the problem with this one there was no excitement to be had it's a 60 million dollar budget which in 2011 is not anything to sneeze at that's a pretty good amount it's good it's not blockbuster movie but it's good yeah and i i wonder if a little bit larger budget that would have allowed them to replace the animated prologue with a live action prologue showing the the battles through time and being able to kind of up the, the the stakes visually if that would have helped no i need a full rewrite no okay uh, well, that, uh, <laughs> yeah i like the effects that they had granted everything's a little muddy because it's all a little dark and it's a uh, and they're hiding some of that because they may not have the full budget to make everything as crisp and clear and all that. But, I mean, it's everything we just went through. They have some good threads, but they don't tug on any of them to actually go down those lines. It's like we just want to get to the action sequence parts to which they're they're entirely too predictable and break no ground you in introduce this newer kind of version of a vampire and it, i just didn't care <laughs> just... according to uh, scott stewart the vampires are like a, just another species sure. they're they're not related to human whatsoever so they're not the kind of vampires that we have kind of like known through time right. or anything uh, if you're bitten by a vampire and survive, you become a familiar. Right. But you don't become a vampire. So that that's that's how it's set down in this universe. Uh, until we get to the Carl Urban version. Well, and only because he was a priest. And now, that's another thing that isn't really truly explored or explained. Is Are the priests just masterfully trained, or is there something special you get the impression because there's something almost mystical about them that the queen vampire was able to take the Carl Urban priest character and turn him into this human slash vampire. And that's only because he was a priest. So is there something sort of magical? Are they like, you know, the Jedi of this universe? Yeah, well, here, here's the thing. Um, I picked up on one thing. I don't know if you did. Familiars get bit. And they get partially drained, and then they become a familiar, whatever that even means. Um, because familiars from other vampire stories serve specific duties that these guys, they seem to be servants for the vampires, but it's not clear what they're being a servant of. Right. I, I mean, they, these vampires build hives like bees, and they have a queen um, that g generates them to begin with. So not really sure what a role of a familiar is. They didn't get into it well enough. 
But in Carl Urban's case, um, he was being bitten and being bitten and being bitten, and the queen fed him her blood, which mm-hmm. is very old-school vampire. That's how you make a vampire. It's not enough to bite them. You have to feed them of your own blood to turn. He got fed, so that explains him being turned, but then we... And, and even on the train, he announces to the priest, I am the first of my kind. I am a human vampire, which this is supposed to be an exciting moment because this now ties us to all of our other lore about vampires. We have our first all-powerful human vampire, except he's in the daylight. And <laughs> you're supposed to assume it's because he is a priest and and he is human, and this is the first of their kind kind of thing, but, I mean, it, it wasn't clear if he needs to feed. Um, and, yeah, they, they, they start mixing what it is. One of them might as well have sparkled, for all I care, because <laughs> we were picking and choosing from every vampire version that has ever existed, poured them all in here, and then just said, take it because we say so. Yeah, and I don't have a problem with that on the face of it it's just there's something about this film that like i said all the ingredients that go into this film i it's like oh i like that i like that Mm -hmm. i like that i like there's nothing i don't like but for whatever reason they mixed it into this film and it just it does not grab me And, and while the elements are there i agree with that um, my long-standing rule in any science fiction and fantasy is establish the rules, tell me what they are, and then stick to them. The problem with this one is we never bothered to actually establish the rules of any of these species and or uh, the hybrid versions, the familiars and all that. We don't know why anything gets to be what it is or what its role is so i can't even lay down the second half of my thing the stick to it part because i don't know what your rules are so it's i I have a hard time like you didn't you created a world but you didn't tell me enough about the world for me to care Mm -hmm. you're you're just making up rules as you go and i just have to accept it and that's a hard that's hard pill to swallow when you only have an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Weirdly enough, this film was an hour and a half, which is the, you know, the sweet spot for me. And as far as films go, that, that's a typically that is a, a good time for a, or a length of film. Sure. I really feel like this film should have been longer. So they could have explained a little bit more of this world or been able to show some live action history instead of the animated unfortunately because they make made this one i don't know that i'm interested in any other content about this world at all Mm. but this should never have been a film this should have been a series of some kind Meh, maybe because it needed time you're absolutely right it needed to be longer but i don't know two hours or two and a half at the way that they did this one i don't want more (laughs) <laughs> All right. What I want is um, do it over. Give me a reason to like this. Paint the picture of the world. Set the rules for me. Give me 
give me a story to build around beyond go save the girl. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is far too trivial for as much as they had in here and as many different directions as it go for him to basically just be save the damsel in distress. That, that was kind of a cheesy way to go with this. Touching back on the Carl Urban character and the fact that he now defies any of what we know to date because he's still alive and he's now a human vampire. And that's supposed to be a big deal. And he's gone as quickly as he says it. It's it's the same ten minutes. Or is he? Yes, because we only saw his hat. <laughs> That's right. I, I I do believe we would have discovered that he survived. Perhaps. Uh, but yeah, again, I don't know that I want to pay the price of admission to see the next one. <laughs> so. Well, I don't think you'll have to worry about <laughs> crossing that bridge at any time. <laughs> no, no. No, but even at free, I felt like I was der- I deserved some money back. <laughs> mm. This is, I think, the third time I've watched this film. Oh yeah. Uh, I think I again I do not think I saw it in the theater. I'm pretty sure this is as soon as it came to DVD. Yeah. Uh, probably grabbed it from the Red Box or something like that. Yeah. And I've watched it a couple times, and I think I I've watched it repeatedly just because. All right, this I keep thinking this is the time I'm going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> this is the time that I'm going to really enjoy this film. And I I think it's I'm just so desperate to like this film. And each time it disappoints. I'm a big Carl Urban fan and I had completely blanked that he was in this and when he showed up I'm like no, Carl. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I I realize he was still coming up at, at this stage, but no. <laughs> uh, you know, I mentioned the uh, the animated prologue a few times. That was uh, drawn by animator uh, Jindy uh, Tartakovsky. Oh, awesome! Who did uh, Dexter's Laboratory, Samurai Jack, and Star Wars Clone Wars? Yeah, some of my favorites. Yeah, so I thought that was very cool. And uh, you, when you know that and you watch, you, you see that and you think about that prologue, you're like, oh yeah, I definitely see that now. I should have known. And now, now I might have to at least watch that segment again, knowing that piece of information. I didn't look that up, so that that's a nice little touch. But that now might be my only favorite part of the film. <laughs> yeah. It, actually, you watch that prologue and you. you you see who who did the animation, and you're thinking, I'd watch that movie. Right. <laughs> Give me an animated version. Well, yeah, because uh, at least in trying to introduce their version of the vampire and the struggle that humanity went through in its various cultures, because that was the thing I did enjoy about the animated sequence, is we were visiting different worlds areas of the world as we know it um, and watching different cultures fight the vampires in the form that they could at the time and that was kind of neat um, yeah no I I like the uh, the idea that all our human advancements especially when it comes to uh, war right was it to defeat the vampires. I, I thought that because it starts with just, you know, uh, sticks and stones and swords. 
Right. And then it, it escalates to like World War One with the the tanks and and that sort of stuff. Yeah. The, the gas them with the gas masks and they're just bombing the hell out of a hive. <laughs> yes. Yes. And and you get the impression that we've gone nuclear at some point. And, and that was a part that was kind of missing for me too. This is post-apocalyptic, but I don't know how we got to um, such a bleak version of the world. I could see things being in rubble, but I mean, the sky seemed scorched and uh, nothing ever looked like it was the right color. Um, well, we don't know what it's going to look like after we start dropping atomic bombs on vampire hives. Right, but it was never entirely clear that that's as far as it went. Well, other than um, Priest Brother, I I don't know his name. Yeah. <laughs> He's checking the soil, and he mentioned something about the radiation's almost nil. Right, yeah, no, I caught that part. But yeah, uh, during the animation sequence, though, we didn't cover how we got to the apocalypse. No. No, no, it, it, it stops uh, pre-atomic uh, uh, bomb dropping. Yeah, no, it's more, like you said, it's more World War One is like the last stage of the animation, and you're kind of like, okay, I, I guess I can make the leap, but did you, did you run out of money for him to animate so that you could at <laughs> least get to one giant mushroom cloud visual? <laughs> like, we didn't get there. No, and it really... It, it needed it. That would have been a really great end to that prologue. Well, yeah. It, well, and what would have made more sense, too, is um, they had a term. Supposedly, we wiped out all of the vampires, but there were what were called the missing. Uh, they, they referenced it during the film. There were they had cleared all the hives, but they were fairly certain a few got away, and they referred to them as the missing. Mm, okay. So you make this statement about that, but you didn't set it up, and you didn't go anywhere with it, and the missing don't have anything to do with Carl turning into a vampire. So why'd you bring it up? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's another thing, too. They keep talking about, especially the Monsignor, like, no, the vampire menace, we destroyed all the vampires, but it we see that there are some vampires and they're on reservations. Right. So do the people in general not know about the reservations, or...? That's what I'm saying. It is Okay, we've talked... Yeah, you, you mentioned it, they're all gone, but they're not all gone. There's reservations. Oh, and in the middle of a, another fight, there, there are these ones we refer to as the missing. All of that, to me, sets up the conversation I'm talking about where the Monsignor has somehow established some sort of relationship with the vampires yeah. to keep them separated, and we don't go down that road. And I'm like... Why do you keep giving me a little bit of line and then nothing? Yeah. No, they needed to do something else with the with the idea of the church and the Monsignor, the church maintaining its power. Because the vampires would have been the only thing to keep everyone in line with the church. Yeah. If if, if the church is saying, no, the vampires are over, they're, they're, they're gone, people are going to go, well, I'm not going to stay in this walled city let's let's move out what there's no radiation out there anymore let's 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 move let's leave and the church is going to start losing control so it would only benefit the church to propagate a lie maybe all the vampires are gone or, or they're no longer a threat but the church could like 
propagate a lie that they were they're out there and waiting and then that you could have had like some sort of agreement like okay we need to a vampire attack uh, next Thursday around three would be good on just this small outpost, uh, just just to keep everyone on edge. Right. Which would explain the one attack right out of the gate that's launched our little story. But unfortunately, yeah. you went with the most trivial version of the story instead of pulling on all of these. You you set little Easter eggs out there, and you didn't have us. You didn't gather them all up in your basket and tell a story. <laughs> no, no. It yeah, I, I think had this gone to a, a sequel, I think I'd probably have more issues with the story than less. Yeah, uh, again, we we keep saying it. If you don't actually establish all of it right out of the gate, why do I come back for the next one? Right, and that's the problem. Well, I did not get any comments on social media on this one. I thought I might get a few, but eh. I, the, the ones I never think that I think we're going to get a couple, we never do. So, <laughs> well, Let, let's go to a few critics. What did what did they have to say? All right. Uh, well, if you just look at the overall um, marks on Metacritic, uh, it it averaged a forty-one out of a hundred. So, this is not a well-revered film but uh to pull some snippets from some folks uh i have one from new york times mike hale there are two things worth watching mr bettany who who makes an excellent latter day um john wayne and can put across nearly all of the aspiring to second rate dialogue and maggie q who has a Jolie-like ability to project intelligence and emotion while looking scorching hot. <laughs> I think when he means looking scorching hot, it's the all the black leather in the uh, in the desert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, not to say that Maggie Q isn't attractive. She is very attractive, but I mean, this was not the movie that made her look attractive <laughs> no th this movie definitely did not go for the 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 um sex appeal the sex appeal yeah and I, I was wondering what makes this different from something like the underworld and i'm thinking it's the black leather tights isn't it <laughs> well yeah it's, see uh it's kate beckinsale and 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 leather yeah paul <laughs> paul doesn't fill out black pleather like uh kate beckinsale does because <laughs> no. i mean Depending on which version of Underworld you watch, which which of the various movies, some of them aren't much better than this. <laughs> no, no, it's that's true. So, but it all comes back to it's still fun to watch Kate. <laughs> uh, then we go over to the L.A. Times. Mark Olson. Uh, the film is somehow a disappointing combo of too full and oddly empty. Even with all the various parts and pieces going into its structure, it feels bare bones. The differentiation between the dystopian future cities and the Dust Bowl hinterlands never creates the tension it should. And a fistful of crucifix, crucifixes that become throwing stars is, a, is as deep as the theology gets. <laughs> and, and in that little blurb, I think he's really captured what we just talked about. The whole notion, there's a lot there, goes nowhere, does nothing. Yep. 
Uh, and then uh, the last one I'll pull from is Chicago Reader, uh, J.R. Jones. This is mildly entertaining for its cheesy sacrilege. Again, crucifixes that turn into throwing stars, etc. Everybody picked up on that. But, but once the premise has been rolled out, the movie is about as surprising to watch as the Stations of the Cross. <laughs> so... Some clever wording there, but uh, yeah, they're all basically like, there's just nothing there. There's no reason to care. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and that, unfortunately, is a little sad. There, there are a lot of good actors in here. A lot of, there's a lot of potential there, and goes nowhere, does nothing. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunate. I and you know the strange thing is, is I'll probably still watch this film again at some point. Well, yeah, because you, you've watched it, and in a day or so after we're done talking about it, after you get past editing, after you get after you get past editing, you're gonna you know, you're gonna completely forget about this film, and then at some point you'll come back across it in your collection and go, I should really watch that. I don't really remember anything about it. Yeah, that, that might be what happens. Yeah, in fact, if anything, what I found surprising, and, and I took you at your word for it at being, uh, well, it looked pretty. I'm struggling with the well, it looked pretty part. <laughs> I think I, I I am stretching the definition of that a little bit because I, I think it's just because I think everything that went into it, all the ideas yeah, are great ideas, are pretty ideas, and... That, yeah, like we've been saying, they just don't coalesce into something that is entirely enjoyable. Yeah, no, I, I, and it did. It had some pretty actors. The The bike was cool. Um, mm -hmm. They actually looked like they spent most of their um, effects budget just making the uh, display for the bike. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that seemed to be where all the visual effects went, uh, that and some of the cheesy uh, vampires. But that was about it. Well, it, is that it then for uh, Priest? Yeah, I, I can't think of any more ways to hate on it. <laughs> All right, well, in two weeks we will be looking at another film that it fits well kind of within the genre here. We're going to look at Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters from 2013. I, I can honestly say I'm, I'm looking a little forward to that one. I know that one's cheesy as hell, but it is a fun watch. <laughs> okay, very cool. Well, we'll be back with that in a couple weeks. Uh, would love to hear your thoughts on Priest or Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. Drop us a line, follow the link in the show notes to all our social media and email uh, contact information. That's going to do it for this episode. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. We will talk to you next time. Bye. See ya.